0: We're live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. I've got uh, my good friend uh, and co-host, Gray Williams, with me today. And we have a great program. Get Connected is all about uh, the world of technology, making it simpler. We will be talking uh, with our good friend Brian Jackson from the InfoTech Research Group about the new Apple Vision Pro. These are the new mixed reality headsets uh, that uh, Apple has announced this week. And oh, what a price tag coming in at uh, almost $5,000 Canadian. Well, we're going to talk about uh, some of the features and... uh, Will it be worth that much money? We'll also be chatting with uh, some of the folks over at uh, Amazon. They've got some new uh, Amazon Echo gear, some new uh, smart digital speakers for the home and the car. We'll uh, tell you how that will all uh, work. And we've uh, got our favorite tech hacks segment. Uh, This week, we're going to tell you easy ways to share your Wi-Fi password at home, whether you're a Google or an iPhone uh, user. And even a few other little uh, extra secret uh, tips. But great, let's get into some of the, uh, the tech news uh, this week. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, in the UK, the, the British government is uh, basically come up with a, a 24-hour cooling period for people that want to buy crypto. So uh, I guess they're trying to uh, bring a little uh, safety into the market. Uh, if you want to buy some Bitcoin or any other type of cryptocurrency, it'll take 24 hours for that transaction to happen.
1: That's actually a really great thing. So the thing I've seen from a lot of people is the cooling off period where they start to panic is usually about ten minutes after they purchase something, and see, oh, did I make a huge mistake? Um, and so, so looking at this, you know, that that I feel like to, be able to hit cancel and back the heck out. Probably not a bad thing for a lot of the folks out there. Uh,
0: they're also banning refer a friend advertisements uh, as well, and uh, anything that uh, is uh, misleading. So they've got to be clear. Clear, fair, and uh, not misleading uh, advertisements uh, as well. Uh, So I think that's uh, a good thing, and maybe uh, some other countries could uh, look at doing that uh, as well. Uh, Some stuff happening over at Reddit. Great. And uh, explain to listeners that don't know what Reddit
1: is. So Reddit, they, they build themselves as the front page of the internet. This is like what Dig was about 10 years ago. Basically, users take things that they find interesting on the internet, and they post them as links on Reddit. Inside Reddit, there are a number of subreddits. Uh, There's a Toronto subreddit. There's a Vancouver subreddit. Uh, I actually run one of the New Westminster subreddits. And so people have the ability to post these links. They can also post discussion links. And so here you have a community of users that can connect to uh, lots of stories, uh, lots of conversation, lots of discussion. Um, There are what we call APIs, or application programming interfaces, that third-party apps use to take Reddit and bring it into their apps so you can use Reddit the way that you want to. Reddit has decided that they want to start billing more for these uh, for the use of their APIs, and there's a, a Canadian app called Apollo, one that I use on a regular basis, pretty much multiple times per day, and they've they told the developer that it's going to take it's going to cost him twenty million dollars a year for access to their APIs, which is up thousands of percent over what it is that they're charging right now, and users are up in arms um, as of right now, like right now, Reddit is blacked out on a number of different subreddits, uh, my own included, in protest. Of what's going on here?
0: So, again, Reddit, it's kind of like a giant message board, kind of, if I had to simplify it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like a message board, like a series of links. It's sort of a combination of all of these things. It's a social network in and of itself. Um, but yeah, basically a way for users to communicate with each other and share stories. Uh, and it's you know, <laughs> but, $20 million a year to use a third party app for, let's say, you know, you're, you're a big app developer, not a problem. For somebody like Christian, that's a, that's a tough bill to pay.
0: Looks like a bit of a money grab. Uh, they've also cut 5% of their workforce uh, recently uh, as well. So uh, we'll have to see how that uh, all pans out. Uh, also in the tech uh, news, uh, this is kind of uh, interesting. We will be uh, talking uh, some uh, Apple stuff uh, in this program and also in the App Show, which is our sister uh, radio show that you can hear every Sunday here on the Chorus Radio Network about some of the new gear. But uh uh, one of the interesting things they've uh, announced is uh, they've uh, cut the developer fee. So typically, in the past, if you wanted uh, you know early access to uh, some of the new uh, operating systems, you'd have to pay the developer's fee. And how much was that uh, uh, that fee, Gray? It was ninety nine dollars US a year. Yes, that's correct. And that's that's not a lot of money.
1: No, and it's kind of funny because you know back in the day when they first launched this fee, a number of people were basically buying the ninety nine dollar developer kit and then selling, you know, access to that for for betas to people for, you know, 5 or $10. And so some folks are making a lot of money actually selling access to their developer ID. Um, that didn't last for very long because Apple then came up with public betas. Um, but right now, if you, if you have a Mac or if you have an iPhone and you want to get on the beta, um, you can actually get onto it right now um, as a developer. Would not recommend that, right? If you're not a developer and you're using your phone as a daily driver or your computer as a daily driver, Don't download the betas right now. You're just in for a world of hurt. But if you are developing something and you have a development machine, uh, that $100 is now back in your pocket. And you can spend that on anything else that you wish, including other Apple hardware like perhaps an Apple TV.
0: But a lot of nerds uh, that typically weren't developers uh, would actually pay that fee so they could get like early, early access to the, the latest updates, right?
1: I used to. And, you know, it's one of those things where I see that as I've kind of gotten older, um, I've started to stay away from doing dangerous things like installing betas on my phone. And I stick to, you know, spinning fire or jumping out of airplanes. (laughs) Uh,
0: Another interesting uh, thing, uh, because of the the power of uh, Apple's new chips, they're making their own processors for their computers now. Uh, There's a new game porting tool, uh, apparently, that uh, can easily take Windows games and port them over to the Mac.
1: Yeah, this is actually, this is brilliant because a lot of developers are looking at the Mac and going, okay, we don't really know the Mac platform, we're Windows only, you know, what would our game look like if it ran on a Mac? And so this is not to develop a finalized version, but it would say, look, without writing any code at all, here, we can get your game running on Mac so you can see it. It's almost like that uh, that first taste, like, yeah, look, you can open up this entire audience. I mean, for myself, I've got, you know, thousands of dollars in Windows PC gaming hardware sitting next to me to play one game, Destiny 2. I can play that on my Mac, especially with like the uh, you know the M1 Ultra that I've got in my machine right now. Man, I don't I don't know that I'd buy another Windows machine.
0: But game developers typically don't develop for the Mac, do they? The, the, it's it's the Windows machines that they're making these games for.
1: Yeah, and so basically what they're saying is you can take those, you can develop for your Windows machine, and here's a really quick way to port this game to Mac and have it run, you know, maybe not at the top end of performance, but run 60 frames per second with decent settings. And it would look great. And so for a lot of users out there that either just won't buy the game because they don't have the hardware or uh, we know won't buy the game because they, they'd have to go out and jump through a whole bunch of hoops to make it work, this actually is a great way to get that game on those platforms. Apple sort of committed to more gaming in this recent WWDC. So everything from the Apple TV, which runs on the same sort of uh, A-series and M-series hardware that we've got inside our Macs, um, we could actually see this as, as the resurgence of Mac gaming. Who knows, we might actually see Bungie's Marathon back on Macintosh, which would be a beautiful way to close that lip as it started as a Mac game so many years ago.
0: We're going to have to take a break. you are tune in to get connected. When we come back, uh, we're talking about some new Amazon Echo smart speakers for the home and your car. And uh, we'll also be uh, getting a, a bit of a deep dive on the new Apple Mixed Reality headset with our good friend Brian Jackson. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike Eggerbo here in studio. Well, we're going to talk voice assistance now and some uh, new gear from Amazon. On the line, we've uh, got our good friend Celine Lee. She is uh, with Amazon to tell us about uh, some of uh, the new Amazon Echo devices. Thanks for joining us, Celine.
2: Glad to be here.
0: Uh, so've uh, I've been using uh, the echo devices for many years now. I, I love the um, uh, the Alexa voice assistant. Uh, I use it uh, for playing music in my home uh, and uh, also controlling all my smart home devices. You've got some uh, some new gear now. Uh, we'll start with the uh, Amazon Echo pop. This is a, a new uh, smart digital speaker that uh, comes in some funky colors. So give us the lowdown on that.
2: Yeah, so this is really uh, an exciting one. It has this uh, all-new compact design um, that, uh, like you mentioned, has new colors. And it's priced at less than $60. So it it really um, provides incredible value. And we think it's a a really good way to add Alexa to any room. Um, You know, you can have uh, it in multiple places and kind of enjoy the benefits of the the uh, assistant that way. It has a, a front-facing uh, speaker which delivers full sound, and it really um, gives you access to all of your favorite features, the one that you know already, whether it's asking Alexa to play an audiobook, to turn off the lights, or to reorder paper towel. It has all of that. Plus, uh, one thing that I'm particularly excited about is that it has Eero built-in, so this Echo Pop can also act as a mesh Wi-Fi extender, which means that it can add up, up to... Um, a thousand square feet of coverage to existing Eero network and really extend Wi-Fi to hard to reach spots in your home. So it's really adding this fun pop of color to any room with these colors, but also adding a lot of value with with many features.
0: I think that's an important feature. Uh, You know, again, I I love using the Amazon Echoes uh, for playing music in all my rooms, but uh, for the listeners out there that don't know what Eero is, uh, can you just explain, uh, you know, your mesh router system?
2: Yeah, so Eero as a system where you know you have a, a router, so kind of like um, what is a, what enables your home to get connected to uh, the internet. But in addition to that, it has the mesh system, so you can buy these uh, extenders, which will then allow you to have better coverage across your home. In this case, uh, because Eero is built in um, your Echo device, means that you you don't really need to add additional um, you know eero extenders you can just use your existing alexa devices to um, extend that network and really you know if if you have this pesky corner of your home that um, doesn't get good wi-fi if you happen to have your echo pop in that location then um, you get you get greater coverage
0: is that going to kind of be the strategy going forward for the um, the echo devices to to build in that uh, wireless wireless mesh uh, extender capability
2: well, I wouldn't want to speculate on the roadmap, but I think we we definitely have um, continued to listen to customers, see where you know um, we can add value, and and continue to you know improve features as we go
0: i i i love uh using my echo devices uh as uh as speakers and i i don't think a lot of people know this but it's really easy to go into the uh, alexa app and actually set them up in in groups in your home uh, as well you could actually have even one outside on the patio you know during the summertime uh, and then use alexa using your voice to actually play music kind of on all of them or you know in the groups that you've set up or in individually as well maybe i've got one in the bedroom one in the family room uh it, it just really adds kind of uh uh you know a whole new element uh, you know to your to your home and it's i found it very easy to set up
2: it is uh, very easy to set up and there's it adds an element of magic um i think it's one of my favorite um aspect of having multiple devices uh just you know I need to clean my home. I'm going to play music everywhere. And it's just like, it makes this task a little bit more delightful. Um, I'm also particularly fond of um, announcements. Um, I have young children, you know, when it's time to come and have dinner, I don't have to go and yell in every room. I just uh, make an announcement. And Alexa corrals my family and we all get together. So it's it's really uh, this idea of connecting them. Like you said, it's super easy through the Alexa app and um, it's very enjoyable.
0: Yeah, what I I like about the app is as well, because, you know, I get to try, you know, uh, different uh, digital assistants out there. Um, I I just find it easy, you know, especially for setting up uh, smart home gear like uh, smart lighting, or even my uh, my robot vacuum cleaners. Uh, All you have to do is just kind of download the skill for that particular device. And it just kind of sets it up for you, which I think kind of takes the the stress out of uh, getting that gear up and going.
2: It does. And, you know, I think that um, as, you know, we we look at smart home, uh, there's just um, it's it's being more democratized right now. Right now, you know, I think five years ago, I would have to go in and help, let's say, my my parents set up their smart home. But today uh, things kind of work out of the box. Um, it really is. You know, can you can say Alexa, discover my devices, and Alexa will just do the magic. Um, in you know, if you have um, in some cases, like you say, like some devices may require you to link them, but you get the uh, skill to do that for you, and then it just it just works. Um, it makes the guessing work uh, out of the equation, and Alexa can handle all of the the difficult tasks for you.
0: Celine, I see a lot of smart uh, home technology now incorporating that new standard matter. Do we are we seeing that in Amazon Echo devices as well?
2: Yes, we do. We, we're really excited. Uh, we've started to roll out uh, support from Matter, and it's really this, um, you know, new uh, standard that will allow more devices to work together seamlessly. So we really think it's, it's the right thing for customers. Uh, we're excited to partner uh, and, and make sure that this is available on Echo and, and to, you know, provide access to more people to smart home easily.
0: I do like that. I, the one thing I, I really loved uh, about um, Echo and, and Alexa specifically is that it really did kind of unify all my smart home devices, you know what I mean, like from different manufacturers. You know, because typically, you know, in the beginning, you'd have to download that manufacturer's, uh, you know, app and get it going through there. But uh, with the advent of uh, Alexa, you could use your voice assistant uh, to basically control all the device, no matter who made it. And and matter, uh, you know, for listeners, I I know a lot of you don't know what that is yet, but it is going to make devices uh, a lot easier to get connected, and it's a standard that uh, pretty well most of the smart uh, home devices are going to be using uh, coming up. So you're also bringing Alexa to the car now, the Amazon Echo Auto. Explain how that works.
2: Yeah, so you know Alexa really started in the home. Um, that's where we first um, uh, started to find um, ways to make customers lives easier but very quickly i think we saw that we could expand the reach a little bit and um we, we spent quite some time in the car um, you know especially commuting and as people return to the office it's it's a really a, a place where we thought we could add value and so the echo Odo is really Alexa on the go. Um, you're driving home, you can send another announcement and say you're on the way uh, that you've picked up dinner. You can even turn on the lights uh, in the driveway or, or do things uh, directly from the wheel without having to uh, you know, remove your attention from the road. So uh, the Echo Auto will just connect to your car for uh, audio and then uh, leverage your phone for um uh, for Alexa to connect to the cloud and that way you have Alexa, access to all the good things that Alexa can do and help um uh, that you're you love doing in your home but directly from your car.
0: And and what cars will this work in?
2: So that's um I think one of the powerful aspect of the Echo if you look at the average age of a car today on the road it's it's about um you know 10 to 12 years and so while some newer models may have um you know embedded you know, assistance in the vehicle, like a lot of people just don't have that. And so um, the Echo Auto addresses um, this need. Anyone who has a vehicle um, who is able to uh, get access to this. So what you need is access to power. So, you know, USB is how we can power the Echo Auto. And then you can connect it to your car sound system via either the auxiliary or Bluetooth, kind of depending on the vehicle. So it's a very broad uh, appeal, I think, for people who have maybe older models uh, of vehicles and and don't have access to embedded uh, built-in kind of assistance systems.
0: What's the price point on that? Do you have that handy?
2: I do have that handy. The (laughs) Echo Auto is available for $74.99.
0: We're talking with uh, Celine Lee over at Amazon, all about the new Echo devices, the new Echo Pop uh, for the uh, home. And uh, if you're out and about in your car, the Amazon Echo Auto. I want to thank you for joining us today, Celine.
2: Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: When we come back from the break, more tech to talk here on Get Connected. Stay tuned. You are back with the program. Well, Apple had uh, one of their big events this week, the Worldwide Developer Conference down in Cupertino, California. They announced uh, a number of uh, cool new uh, gear. And I think the one that uh, everyone was anticipating and actually for a few years now is their new uh, mixed reality headset to help us uh, understand where it all fits in the world. We've got a good uh, friend, Brian Jackson from the infotech research group. Thanks for joining us, Brian.
3: Happy to be here, Mike.
0: So it's been uh, a long time coming, don't you think?
3: Yeah, it has. I've been anticipating this announcement for years. And every time they do the WWDC keynote, I feel for the past two or three years, I'm tuning in to expect that big announcement. I'm I'm like, this will be the one where they unveil the headset finally. And it wasn't until yesterday where they finally uh, showed us a look at this new product, even though it's not coming out for another half year. We have to wait until 2024 for this product to hit the market.
0: So, let's go uh, through some of the uh, the details, Brian. What uh, what makes up these these glasses?
3: Yeah, great. So, this is a headset that is a mixed reality headset, Mike. And one of the best features about this is unlike a virtual reality headset that you're always immersed in and unaware of the outside world is it seamlessly transitions from virtual reality to augmented reality, which means that you can see the world around you through the pass-through cameras. So you're actually seeing the video li- video live stream with the world around you, but it's very real time and they have special processes that we can talk about that help facilitate that. So you can transition seamlessly between those two views with a uh, crown that Apple users uh, for a long time, have sort of become a costume too, right? That digital crown of manipulating your Apple Watch. Well, there's a similar function on this headset, and you know what it looks like. Basically, is a a pair of high tech ski goggles that you'll wear with um, a headband that goes around your your face and uh, hugs these two postage stamp sized screens with incredibly high resolution right up against your eyeball so that you can view 4k content and up uh, incredibly high resolution high quality optics and uh, there's just this whole battery and array of sensors around the outside of the device that allow you to interact in your environment and make digital content a part of that
0: yeah what sets these apart uh, for example let's say the uh, the Facebook meta uh, VR glasses is that uh, you can see through them so you can actually see you know the apps and the the screens in front of you in the room that you're you're in Um, whereas you know others uh, you know definitely are kind of more in a virtual world aren't they
3: this is the most compelling value proposition of this headset at this point. And I think that it was really well demonstrated with the FaceTime uh, application and what that experience would be like for users of the Apple Vision Pro. So if you're wearing this headset, You'll not only see the people around you placed within your environment, but the spatial audio means that you'll be able to hear them as if they're actually talking from that space in your room. So when you're having your face time with your colleagues or your family, it'll be like they're right there in your living room with you. And you can also bring up other content like a presentation that you want to collaborate on. That's what they were showing in the slides. Or, of course, you could bring in different photos and videos and see the sort of virtual screen in your environment as well.
0: So they said they are going to be having, uh, I guess, a special um, kind of app store that uh, developers can make specific apps uh, for the the headset. Uh, But right out of the gate, they are capable of uh, uh, using a number of uh, iPad and iPhone apps, aren't they?
3: That's what they said in the presentation, that uh, there will be a special app store. And, of course, that's required because you don't want iPhone users seeing all these augmented reality applications that are made for the headset and won't work on your iPhone. So, yes, there will be this special sort of storefront. And you'll uh, as part of that, you'll see the compatible iOS apps that uh, will be able to display within this virtual screen space that you have.
0: So the price tag is uh is kind of up there and it's right in line with uh what a lot of people were uh, estimating, you know, in in the rumors uh leading up to the uh the event. Coming in at 3499, that's 3500 US. And you know, doing a direct conversion over to Canadian, that's it's getting pretty close to $5,000. That's about
3: $4700. Mhm. Yeah, it's uh high price, high price, uh, a big price tag. And obviously when most consumers see that, they're just thinking, well, this isn't for me. (laughs) And (laughs) Apple, I think, probably expects to sell under a million of these units. And it's really for the early adopter crowd. Um, Probably, you know, it's going to be used in uh, commercial space, perhaps developers that are really interested in developing mixed reality, Uh, applications will be buying this uh, for the first generation but it is so crucial for Apple to get this first generation of product out to the market, get that initial feedback from first adopters, figure out all the problems and all the hurdles that get people to use it, find value in it and then iterate and improve the design on the next one, right? And I know that from an Apple standpoint, they're looking to get this as sleek and as useful as possible. And right now you have to attach this external battery and put that into your pocket. So there's this cord going from your ski goggles there to the battery. And I know that Apple is going to want to eliminate that as soon as possible and work towards having a small battery or having batteries that are well integrated into the into the unit, uh, so that you don't have to juggle two things or handle this awkward tether.
0: Yeah, that was an interesting uh, design feature. I have the uh, the Meta Quest um, goggles uh, from from Facebook, and yeah, the battery is integrated right into the headset itself. And you can see with the Apple uh, Vision Pro um, headset that it is uh, dramatically thinner because they we're able to remove. The battery from the headset unit itself
3: yeah that's the trade-off right is it's nice and light when you're wearing it uh but and of course you know the battery is the part that tends to heat up so it's going to keep it cool (laughs) when it's you're wearing it on your head so these are the trade-offs that the designers have to make and another big part of what Uh, Apple has accomplished with this that I don't want to undersell, is all the different sensors that are on the front of the the unit. I mean, we're talking, Mike, about 12 different cameras. There's cameras that point forward, cameras that point down, cameras that point sideways. And that allows you to not only see your environment through this pass-through technology, but to interact with these goggles by using your hands, right? So you move the mouse cursor just by looking, and then you use the gestures that you would normally use with your iPhone or iPad, and that's going to work the same way. With the Vision Pro, but the amazing part is, of course, that you're not even touching a screen. You're just touching the air in front of you, and the headset picks up those motions and applies it. And there's also IR sensors. There's a LiDAR sensor on top of there. Uh, this is really the high-tech aspect of this that makes sets it apart from what's available on the market and, of course, adds to that high price tag.
0: Yeah, I you know, out of the gate, I don't think people are going to be rushing. Well, some people will be, but I think like from a mass uh, consumer adoption, uh, I think we're still a few years away. You know, obviously they're getting into the game. Uh, they're going to get the early adopters on board and figure out how to bring the price down on this because, um, you know, I think the magic price point would have to be under the $1,500 mark, don't you?
3: Yeah, I think people will ultimately compare it to that laptop that they would buy. And, you know, we saw Apple releasing that MacBook Air 15-inch on stage today as well. And uh, when people are comparing that to this Vision Pro, I think we'll be talking about better consumer adoption. I mean, Apple was out there trying to make the pitch and the value proposition, right? They were saying, well, what would you normally spend on buying a uh, uh, big screen tv and entertainment um sort of set up for your living room what would you spend on having your work monitors um and you can use this device to do all of those things of course the problem is that most people have already invested in that equipment and it's doing a pretty fine job of it so it's not like you're just going to uh, buy this and save yourself the expense of buying all these other items as well because um You've probably already bought it, and you've sunk that investment into it.
0: So, Brian, let's talk about uh, the the persona. Uh, I guess it's kind of their version of avatar, their avatar.
3: Yeah, exactly, Mike. Uh, They didn't say the word avatar, but it is that. And I think this is a very unique and interesting approach with solving this problem. You know, Mike, just recently we've seen these avatars coming out to Microsoft Teams. Uh, I don't know if you've played with this yet, but it's sort of similar to like creating your model to represent you in a video game you have to go through this tool you choose your body type right you fit you fiddle with the size and shape of your head and then you're choosing your hair color and it's actually quite a bit of work and it's sort of hard you have to work at it to get an avatar that really looks like you to feel like it's representing you in a professional context but apple has recognized that's a pain point so they say hey just take this Vision Bro headset, take it off and point it at yourself so the front is looking at you, and we'll use all the cameras and sensors on there to scan you, your face and your body, and we're going to create a 3D avatar out of that that's almost photorealistic, so that when you're interacting with video conferences, people will see this persona, as Apple calls it, and uh, instead of actually seeing you, because of course there's no camera on you when you're wearing these ski goggles, you'll be interacted with uh, via your persona. So I just think that's a very different type of way to solve this problem and to create these digital avatars. And I'll be interested to see if people are keen to adopt that and use them. And then, of course, another interesting part is that when people walk up to you in real life and you're wearing this headset, it'll go semi-transparent and your eyes will be displayed on the outside of the Headset, so people feel still feel like they can make eye contact with you while you're wearing this, and hopefully, from Apple's point of view, that'll take away a little bit of the weirdness of interacting with people that are have their faces covered.
0: And from what I understand, um, uh, when you're actually using the headset, uh, the eye your eyes disappear to let people know that you're kind of engaged in inside the headset.
3: That's right. If you're totally immersed and you're not aware of your surroundings, it won't show people your eyes. It'll just uh, have an opaque or blurred view of them so that people are clue in to the fact that you're not really available or aware of them.
0: The biggest competitor would, ha- would have to be Meta uh, slash Facebook. They've had mm-hmm. their... Uh, Quest uh, heads out for a number of years. They bought uh, Oculus, a company back uh, a few years ago, for I think four billion dollars to get into the the VR space. They're definitely the the market leader right now. Should they be worried, Brian?
3: Yeah, they should be worried because every any time that Apple enters a product category space, they tend to dominate it, and they've done that successfully with you know with the iPod, the iPhone, the iPad. Uh, Apple TV is quite successful, so you have to pay attention to this, and you notice in how they talked about their products yesterday, Apple was sure to uh, separate themselves from Meta, differentiate themselves from what Meta talks about when they uh, talk on stage about their products. They talk about the metaverse, and they talk about avatars. Now, Apple has all of those same concepts within their technology, but they don't talk about this it with the same labels. They talk about spatial computing, and they talk about creating that digital persona of yourself. So I think that they are really clued into what consumers maybe see as dorky, and uh, Apple is trying to control the language around these products and these experiences and define how people think about interacting with them.
0: But the price point, I think Facebook probably has, uh, you know, uh, at least a couple of years, maybe even three years, because the price points on their headsets, you know, on the consumer level are, are well under
3: $1,000. Yeah. And I think that in the short term, their market space is not threatened here because we are anticipating a new headset to be released by Meta. Uh, the MetaQuest 3 is going to be a similar capability to the Apple Vision Pro, and it's going to be able to toggle between virtual reality and augmented reality. So if it can get to, say, 75% to 80% of the features and utility of what the Vision Pro does and comes in at about a third of the price, well, it's just not even a question. Consumers are going to be buying into this headset instead. And, of course, MetaQuest... Uh, The MetaQuest 2 is already selling a few million units on the market. So they're ahead for now. The question is, how long can they keep that lead, given the sort of relationship that Apple has with developers and their experience refining hardware and making it an excellent consumer experience?
0: Where does Google fit in all of this, Brian?
3: Yeah, Google hasn't come out and announced any consumer headset plans. We remember Google Glass as being that sort of uh, strange, very early attempt at combining uh, augmented reality into people's lives, whether it be through work or through consumer experiences. They took a very light touch approach with it. And um, ultimately it wasn't adopted in the consumer sense. It had a longer life in the enterprise. But Google chose to stop development of that hardware and, and instead support other augmented reality headsets from a software perspective. So they, they have the Android Wear uh, ecosystem and they're supporting that from an operating system point of view. So. I don't think Google is in the game here when we talk about the hardware that's available, but could another hardware maker choose to use Google's software ecosystem to support what it's trying to execute on? I think it's a potential, but not for a few years yet, Mike.
0: We've been talking with Brian Jackson from the Infotech Research Group, all about the new Apple Vision Pro mixed reality headsets coming in 2024 at just under five thousand right. at just under five thousand dollars brian uh, thanks again for joining us
3: always glad to be here when we come back from the break
0: we still have some more tech to talk and uh, we will give you our top tech hacks for sharing your wi-fi password the easy way you're listening to get connected back after this you are back with get connected mike agarbo here i got gray williams with me time for the top uh four ways to share your Wi-Fi password. Of course, uh, you know, in your home, there's, uh, you know, typically guests, people coming in. Some of them are going to ask, hey, can I get on your Wi-Fi? Uh, or maybe you're out and about as well. Uh, here are some uh, some quick ways uh, to do that. Uh, I guess the easiest, uh, we'll start with the iPhone, uh, Gray. If uh, typically uh, the person uh, that you're with is in your contact, uh, it's kind of an automatic uh, process, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it really is. And so, one of the great things here is someone is in your contacts, you know, if they're trying to get onto the same Wi-Fi network, it'll pop up for you saying share Wi-Fi password. Uh, you don't even need to know your password. All you have to do is just click share and it will share that across the network very easily.
0: So on the Android uh, side, uh, there is the capability to share your password uh, as well. And typically how you do that uh, on, again, for Android phones, uh, you'll want to open up the quick settings menu. So you kind of swipe down with two fingers from the top of your screen. And again, this is for Android uh, users. Uh, Long press the internet to open that menu. So that's you know, holds uh, the the internet uh, uh, button down there and then tap on the the cog icon uh next to Wi-Fi network and uh simply hit uh share and uh that will uh share your uh, your password. Uh another uh interesting way uh Gray you know and this is something you could actually just kind of print out uh, in your home uh you can uh print out a QR code that people can scan with their phone. Uh there's a, a website uh, called uh what is it uh org, and that's spelled qifi.org and uh this is uh a super, super easy process. You go there and put in the information uh, from your uh, Wi-Fi router and the password and stuff. And it will actually generate a, a special uh, QR code for that. You can then print uh, or export out uh, if you want to as well. And then uh, just have uh, kind of a printout that people can scan when they come into your home or your office for that matter. I don't know if you've I tried w- this before, Gray. I,
1: I I went fancy with mine. So my, my dad's an engraver shout out to Cambridge Engravers. Um, And he actually engraved this for me uh, onto a plaque that's by my front door. And so (laughs) he engraved that QR code when you come in, you can scan that. Now, I actually did this for a specific guest network, not my main network, but a guest network. So anybody that comes in has access to a couple of things. They can share play to my Apple TV. uh, They can control Sonos, but they can't access the rest of my computers. It's just a really nice way where you come in, you got internet access, but I also get to keep my network a little bit more secure.
0: So that, that's a kind of an important thing, isn't it, Gray? Uh, set up a guest network in your home and just kind of give that that network uh, very limited uh, access, right? You don't want uh, you know certain guests coming in and having as- access to all your, your files on your computer. That's all the time we have left. Uh, don't forget to listen to the app show. Uh, you can get our podcast up at getconnectedmedia.com. We'll see you again next time.